I am extra excited uh, to be preaching this passage in, in particular and to be ending our series on prayer. And so far, I just want to go through what we've been doing. So the first week, uh, we looked at the power of prayer. And through James 5, how when we pray, it actually it does things. It's, it's a powerful thing to pray to the living God. And then we looked at uh, how prayer fuels the mission of the church. Everything you just saw there about planning churches and being a global network and reaching those who are far from Jesus and, and restoring relationships and brokenness, all of that is fueled by prayer. And then we looked at Luke 18, where Matthew took us through a passage where it seemed like it only made sense for the widow who was knocking on the judge's door to just quit. But she didn't. And that was a story for us to continue and continue and continue in persistent prayer. And last week, we looked at the mystery of what it looks like to pray to a God who is actually uncontestably in control and how our prayers are not intruders in his plan but they're instruments in them and this week what we'll be doing is while we started that uh, with the power of prayer we're actually going to be ending with a prayer for power now i don't know if that was on purpose thank you matt uh, but we started with the power of prayer and we're going to be ending with what does it look like to actually pray for power, and we're going to be looking at how important it is for us to pray for power. Eugene Peterson says this, prayers are tools that God uses to work his will in our bodies and souls. Prayers are tools that we use to collaborate in God's work with us. Prayers are not just tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Prayer is not, uh, not just tools for doing and getting things from God, but for being who we are and becoming who he wants us to be. And that's what we'll be looking at today. So it's fitting, I think, that you help me pray um, as I open up the scriptures, as we open up the scriptures together, um, because I need help and ensure you need help to listen as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. We thank you that you've given us just enough energy and just enough health to be here today. Lord, I ask that those who may be far away from you or those who may have walked away from you or those who have uh, never experienced you, Lord, that today through my uh, uh, broken and feeble words that your powerful and perfect word would go out and that your spirit will transform hearts, minds, lives, wills, desires today. We need your help. We need your help. We're needy people and we need your help. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you may know I grew up in New York City. I've been here for about eight years and I remember it's about 2003, 2004. I was working in downtown Manhattan in a place called Soho. And I remember just chaos in an instant. Everything just went on blackout. And we were a bit scared because this is post 9-11, so we were thinking, okay, what's going on? But everything just stopped. The city stopped. There was no power in anything. And my sister was working around the corner. She was about, I don't know, 45 months pregnant, so we had to waddle our way 
to the Williamsburg Bridge and walk across into Brooklyn to catch a ride because everything was shut down. And that made me think about how dependent we really are on things outside of ourselves to live life. See, because usually we go home, we turn on the light, we, we don't even give it a second thought. We expect it to go on. We, we turn on the TV and we expect it to go on. You, you turn that, you, you touch that power button and you expect your laptop to go on. We, and we don't give much thought to the fact that all these things are powered from outside of themselves. And as I've looked at my time as a Christian, I think how many times have I thought that I can go without power from outside of myself? And what we're going to learn here today from Paul and from Ephesians is that we are called to pray for power. Because without that, without that what we're going to do is we're just going to black out. We're just going to black out. So we're called to pray for power, but power for a particular thing which will be going through right now. So if you have a Bible, turn to that, Ephesians 3, and we're going to be going to verse, Ephesians 3, verse 14. Now, if, if you don't want to follow up on the screen and you want to open your Bible, ch the chapter numbers are the large numbers and the verse numbers are the small ones. So we're looking at chapter 3, verse 14, and Paul says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, one thing we want to do here at Anchor is not only uh, preach the word and, 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 and pray and sing and do community, but we want people to be able to pick up their Bibles and read them well. So we're going to be stopping at a few points and asking a few questions about what, what is Paul actually saying here. And the first thing I just want to stop at for this reason. What reason? What is Paul talking about? So as we go forward into this prayer, as we go forward into this text, I want us to ask, Paul, what are you saying by for this reason I bow my knee? What reason? And as we go back in the text, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 also begins for this reason. So we have to look further back. And we find this in Ephesians 2. It'll be on, up on the screen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh, in, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, that's through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers. Listen, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure 
being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And listen to this word. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Because of this, because of what God has already done for you, what, what he has already done for you in Christ through the Spirit by dying for you and being raised to life, because of this he prays. It's because of what God has already done, as we learned last week, that therefore Paul is pushed, moved, directed, inflamed even to pray. But he prays to a particular person from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It took me a while to figure what, what he was actually saying here, but this is, this is what he's saying. You are praying to a God who is sovereign. You are praying to a God who is powerful. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says this, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, speaking of the stars. Who did that? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name. See, in the Old Testament, especially, when you see anyone naming something, it's his, it's hers. They're sovereign over it. They're in control. So Paul is praying. He's, he's telling us, look, I bow my knee because of the gospel, because of salvation, because of what he's done. To who? To God who is utterly sovereign and in control. And what is he going to pray for? Let's pick up in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What a mouthful. And I want to point out a couple things. One is, what, what is he talking about? What, what is an inner being? What does he mean that we're supposed to get, receive power in the inner being. And in our culture, so often, we love the outer being. We're obsessed even with our outer selves, and yet so often inside we could be languishing. Listen to this. And these are American stats, so this isn't from Australia. But in 1997, there were 2.1 million cosmetic surgery procedures. 97. Let's fast forward to 2011. 9.2 million. 6.2 billion dollars were spent on surgical cosmetics. 6.2 billion dollars. 1.7 was spent on about Botox and, and other injections. $1.6 billion was spent on skin rejuvenation. We care about the outer man. And this one stung for me the most. That $21.8 billion is spent on gym memberships. But 67% of that isn't even used. And, and that convicted me pretty badly. And I have to contact my gym to cancel. But 20, 20 no listen, $21.8 billion on gym memberships is spent annually. We care about the outer man. 
And that's not bad. Paul says it is actually good to, to my paraphrase, to keep fit. But, listen, but he also says this, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. All of that will fade. $21.8 billion will go to nothing when you're 90, if you're lucky. While it's good, what Paul is saying here, what he's praying for, is for something that's actually going to take you to the end. We just prayed, or we sung rather. We sung a song about us making it to the end, and here, this is what's necessary for us, for our inner person, our inner man, our inner woman, to be strengthened with power. And power is the other thing. Generally, when I think about power, I think about having power in order to manipulate or control my environment. It takes power to lift things, or it takes power to get someone to do something. But here, what we're going to see in a moment is that he's not talking about power for you to actually do something or to control something. He's actually praying for power so that you can be controlled by the love of God. That seems weird. I need, I need power to let God love me? Yes. And this is what Paul prays for as he continues. Verse 17. So that... So he, he's praying that God may grant them strength with power through his spirit so that... Three things. One, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in Love, I want to I wanna stop there for a second. I thought, Paul, I thought that Christ as a believer was al already dwelling in me. So what is, what is he saying here when he says he's praying for strength and power so that Christ can dwell in us? What, is, what does that mean when we are already promised in the scriptures that God has given us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us? What are you saying? And this is what I think he's saying. Allow me to quote someone much smarter than I, C.S. Lewis. He says this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's, he's getting the drains right and, and stopping the leaks in the roof and, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking down the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth, listen, what on earth is he up to? And the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's throwing a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a, a little, a decent cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. 
And this is Paul's thrust here when he says that, that he wants to pray for power so that Christ may dwell in them. It's that the, he would continually, continually rebuild your life, rebuild your affections, replace things that are contrary to him to things that he loves. And that is painful for me, anyway. It's a painful process at times to become more and more and more like Christ. And this dwelling, it's a settling. He's not just, he's just, not just here to stay for a while. He wants to live in you. He wants to make us into a house and move in. And if we think, if we think that Christ is going to come into our lives and just change the wallpaper, add a, house, you know, add a room here, do a couple of renos there, our vision is so small for our lives. He wants to make you into who you were supposed to be if no sin had ever entered the world, and that is glorious. Do you get that? Do you get the project that the Lord is working in you today, now, as I speak, as you go out? He's rebuilding you into a palace, but so often... I want to just hold on to my little broken cottage. It's, it's, a, it's a little something like this. I remember, um, I, you know, I give my kids ice cream all the time. Don't judge me. And I, I, I just, all the time, what I do with, with Jonathan, my, my one-year-old, is he's almost finishing his ice cream, so I, I want to take the cone from him and put a bit more. But that process is hell of me trying to take his cone from him just so I can give him something better. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get that I'm just taking away something that, that's almost gone anyway and giving him something new. And so often that's me. And I think that's you. So often that's me. I'm holding on to things that the Lord wants to replace with something glorious. And that's what he means by praying that Christ would come and dwell, live, sit, be in us. He goes on. That you may have the strength, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ that yet surpasses knowledge. And I want you to notice just one important thing here. He is praying that we would know the love of Christ with all the saints. And this hit me pretty powerfully because what he's saying here is if we ever think that we can become who we are supposed to be in Christ by ourselves, then we've got it mistaken. We are needy people and we need one another. I need you and you need each other in this walk of faith. And that's why at the heart of what we, one of the things that at the heart of what we do here at Anchor is to be in community. 
I have a friend who's going to maybe going away for work for five or six months, and I'm going to be, he, he's, he's, he's going to be on the road, and I'm going to be hounding him. I'm going to be sending him sermons and praying for him and making sure we connect. Because he needs community. He needs the people of God, and every single one of us do too. But to do what? It's actually to comprehend his love for us. I'm trying to teach Anthony to pray. Okay, I'm, we're praying together uh, by God's grace more now. And the other day, I felt so bad. He, he, he laid his hands on me. That was a proud dad moment. He laid his hands on me. He, he goes, he goes uh, Lord, make daddy love you more. I thought, geez, kid, like, I'm going I'm to pray some nasty prayer to you, right? You know, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you mean? Like, I, I, love Je- you know, I love Jesus. And so, and I think that's a beautiful prayer. But this is a different prayer. This is actually saying, not that we would love him more, that will come. But that you would understand that he loves you perfectly. The height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God that is for you. That is the point. The point is not that you would walk out of here today and think, gee, I would love to love Jesus more. The point is that you would walk away floored by the fact that he loves you perfectly. And if I could go around and say everyone's name, I don't know everyone's name here, but if I can go around and say, he loves you, 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 he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And we're going to spend an eternity bathing in that love. That's the power we need. The power is not to do something, but it's to comprehend that something has been done to us to transform us radically. But so often, and I don't know if you've ever seen a cart pulling a horse. I haven't. But yet we we tend... We tend to put the cart in front of the horse and say, well, if I just love Jesus more, he will accept me. If I just do things, he will, if, if I get on, on this roster or that roster or if I preach or if I uh, plan a church or if I do all these things, if I pray, if I give to the poor, if I empty myself, we think, okay, and then he would love me. That's demonic. That is totally, totally, totally antithetical to the gospel because it's when we were sinners that Christ died for us. When you were giving God the middle finger, when you were out getting high or drunk or being religious or being good, when all those things were happening, he died for you. And it's because of that that we respond and tie that cart to the horse and say, okay, Lord, take me. It's power not to do something, but to comprehend that the doing has been done. He goes on. Before that, I I read something late, 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 late last night this morning, and I thought it just captured exactly what I want to say. It'll be up on the screen. D.A. Carson says this. 
Paul is not asking that his readers might become more able to articulate the greatness of God's love in Christ Jesus or to grasp with the intellect alone how significant God's love is in the plan of redemption. He is asking God that they might have the power to grasp the dimensions, the height, the width, the depth, the length of that love in their experience. This is not just a comprehension quiz. And I, I think when we read that, we say, okay, I just need to understand God's love. No, no, this is, it begins there. And it is knowledge, but it moves into the heart. It moves into the hands. It moves into our wills. It moves into the place, into the inner person that shapes our desires, our wills, our decisions, our actions. It's not just an intellectual project. And so often I make it that, and some of us may make it that. But this is so much, so much more. And to know, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What? And I know I say that a lot, but I'm, I'm just blown away. I mean, this is, this is the God who we just, we just read about, that he names every star in the heavens. Psalm 33 says that he opens his mouth and stars come out. And yet, he's saying that we can have the power to comprehend the love so that he can actually rest in us in his fullness. Do you get that? Do you get that there was at one time nothing? Not a particle, not an atom. I don't know how, how smaller you can get. I skipped science when I was in high school. Nothing. Blackness. But there was God. And there, before he opened his mouth, and light came out of his mouth. I think it's 127 kilometers per second, 1,000 kilometers per second. He thought of you. And he said, I'm going to dwell there. It's going to take some work, but I'm going to dwell there. He thought of you. He set his love on you. And he set his love on people who right now are not worshiping and obeying him. And that's why we're here. We're not in community just to be a holy huddle. We're in community to be on mission to those that the Lord will rescue and redeem. And why? Paul says this. Now... To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever. Amen. We could spend, we can 
spend all of eternity praying for this to be true in our lives. And yet, he says, I want to do more. I want to do more. You want a cottage? I'm going to build a palace. I want to do more. I'm going to do more. It is my desire. It is my to do more. Whatever we can ask of him, whenever we with Paul bow our knees in prayer, whenever we pray for strength to have power to comprehend his love for us in Jesus, he wants to do more. Some of us have been praying for a long time for family. He wants to do more. We've been praying to break addictions. He wants to do more. We've been praying and praying and praying, and we learned a few weeks ago to not stop praying. But listen, whatever comes out of your mouth, he wants to do more. Abundantly more. But so often, as D.A. Carson said, we should feel this in our experience. That's not our experience. And what, what is our experience? Paul is asking us here to identify with being someone, the beloved, the loved one of God. When, when, I, when you wake up in the morning, what you should think is, I am the one who the Lord has set his love upon. Oh, that I pray that that would be my first thought every morning. I am the beloved. And my identity rests not in what I do or what I can make or who I know, but in the one who said, you are my beloved. Three things that tell us who we are. I am what I do, right? So if someone generally, when someone asks you, who are you, the first Generally, the first thing that comes to mind is what you do. I, well, I am X. I am a warehouse manager. That's what I do. That's who I am. And Jesus was tempted to think in the same way. When he was driven out into the desert, the first thing that Satan asked him to do was do something. Turn that stone into bread. Turn the stone into bread. And prove that you are who you say you are. And what Satan was doing is, is he was laying a trap of, of saying, your identity should be in what you do. Your ability. Jesus said no. Satan backed off. He said, okay. Um, how about you go to the highest point in the temple where there are people there. And you throw yourself off. Because we know that God is not going to let anything happen to you. So angels will come. They'll sweep you up. And everyone's going to love you. Everyone will applaud you. And the other lie that we think is that we are what other people say we are. We are addicted to what X says about us. Not your X, just person. Person X. We're addicted to what other people think of us. 
And the Lord said, I'm not going to put the Lord God to test. So Satan came back. And he said, okay, listen, listen. If you kneel to me, just do this. Look, just do this. Just one time. Just do this. He's hungry. He's thirsty. Just kneel to me once and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. You are, Jesus, what you have. And Jesus said no. And so often we believe the lie that you are what you have, what you own, what you make. And it's a lie. It is a lie to think that your worth and your value and your identity is based on what you have. It's a lie to think that your identity is based on what people say about you. It's a lie to think that your identity is based on what you do because the Lord says in his word that you are his beloved son, you are his beloved daughter, and that is what's going to carry us through to maturity. This fullness of God that Paul's talking about is having a maturity about us that when we see the world, we see it through the lens of Scripture. We see it as people who are so filled with the Holy Spirit that we can be real about the brokenness of the world and yet hopeful because we know that he's recreating it through his church. I mean, do you get the magnitude of what Paul is actually praying here? He's praying simply this. Help them, help the Ephesians to know that they in Christ are the beloved. You are the beloved daughter of God. You are the beloved son of God. And I'm never going to tire of saying that to you. Because until that so animates our life, until that so shapes our desires, even, even about what we want, until that actually shapes our wills about what we do, we could never get tired of saying that. So I dare you, every single morning, remind one another, hey, Remember today who you are. You're the beloved one of God. And this happened because the ultimate beloved one of God, Jesus became the damned one. He was kicked out so that you can be brought in. He was accursed on a cross so that you can ride into heaven, into those gates, into the new earth in victory behind Jesus. He was scorned so you can be accepted. He was abused so that you can be healed. He was killed so that you can live. And that is our prayer. Our prayer is that we would walk away knowing that we're the loved ones of God. 
Shortly, I'm going to invite the leadership team up to pray for us, to pray for us all. Because we don't want to just talk about it. We want to be about it. Okay? So I'm going to invite the leadership team up. But I just, as they come up, if they can come up now, I just want to tell you a little story about this man called R.A. Torrey. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But one day, he was praying and praying and praying and praying that the Lord God would reveal his love for him in Christ. And he stopped. He was weeping and weeping and weeping, and he actually prayed, Lord, stop, I can't take it. May that be true of every single one of us. May we grasp this reality. So much so that it breaks us. So much so that it heals uh, so much so that we stop believing those lies of the world in saying that I am who I, what people say about me, I am what I have and I am what I do. No, I am the beloved. Guys, if you can pray for us. Join with me as we pray, guys. Yeah, Father, we just want to um, agree with that message that uh, so often, God, we, we do, we find our identity in things that can never fulfill us, God, in what we have, in, in what people see us as, in, 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 in these areas, God, that you've never called us to find our identity in. And so, God, we pray that as we've heard the word, that it would not return void, as your word promises, God, that these words would be concreted into our hearts, into our minds, into our being, God. And that you, with all the saints, God, would give us the ability, the faith to believe, God, that you indeed love us. God, would you remind us over and over and over and over and over again of the depths that you went, God, to rescue us, to bring us back to yourself, God. May that, Lord, may that motivate us. May that empower us. May that drive us on, God. Empower us, we pray. And Father, we want to confess our pride. So often, we think that the power resides within us and that we are the masters of our own lives, that we make all the decisions, we make all the calls, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Uh, and it's a lie, Father. Um, and so we ask that you would humble us, that you'd bring us to our knees, that we would see our true position before you, that without Christ we are, we are strangers, we are enemies of God, uh, and that we are in desperate need of the gospel. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, we would know the depths of your love for us. Uh, we'd know that in Christ we are reconciled to you, our Father. That we would stay humbly on our knees, totally dependent on you to continue to change us, totally dependent on you for our mission uh, to make disciples of this city. And Father, we know that you want to do more than what we ask for. Uh, and so often our prayers are so small. So we ask that you would increase our vision, that we would lift our eyes to you and consider all that 
all that you desire to be done in our lives and in our city and in our world, uh, that we would pray bigger prayers of faith, uh, that you would fill us uh, full of expectancy and hope and joy and love uh, and that uh, we would see uh, your kingdom go forward in our own lives and in our city, uh, not for our own glory, but so that all the glory might be yours. Amen. Father God, we know that so often knowledge for us is based on our own study, on our own effort. But this morning we want to come humbly saying we need your power to know. Father God, we need your power to know your love, to be reminded of it again. Father, of the, the breadth of your love for us, that Jesus would stretch his arms out on the cross, that his body and blood would be broken and shed for us. Father, the length of your love, that from the beginning of eternity, you set your affections upon us in Christ. That we would know, Father, the height of your love, that mm. Jesus would give up the throne of heaven, be mm. made like a servant, be made like a human, and be obedient to death. Not just any death, the worst form of death, crucifixion. Father, that we would know the depth of your love, that you don't just like us, you love us from the heart. Father God, we desperately need to know this. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are, we're in a world that is desperate for love. Our hearts are desperate for love. So I pray for those here this morning, Father, who have never known this love. And it's not just a knowledge, an experience of this love. Father, I pray that you would fill people with your love this morning who have never known it before. And for those of us who know this, maybe just intellectually, would you move this from our head to our hearts? That this wouldn't just be head knowledge, but an experience for us. That we don't just know that you love us, but we experience your love in our lives. Mm. Father, remind us again that you have lavished your love upon us in Christ. And would that radically transform who we are? We prayed in the powerful name of the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now to him, as the band comes up and as we respond, as we respond by taking the bread and the juice, symbolizing Christ's body that was broken for us. And the juice symbolizing Christ's blood that was, that was flowed for you, spelling out love now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.